Hello, and welcome to The Scott Mize Show, a podcast focused on health, diet, bodybuilding, and philosophy. I interview experts, doctors, coaches, and N equals one case studies to answer your questions about improving health, achieving your best physique, and making sustainable progress. We'll cover topics from carnivore and ketogenic diets, to bodybuilding, to life philosophy, and everything in between. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Optimal Carnivore. Do you struggle to eat organ meat? Optimal Carnivore was created by carnivores for carnivores. Long-term listeners of the show will know I'm a huge fan of supplementing a carnivore or ketogenic diet with organs. Organs have bioavailable nutrients that you can't find anywhere else. Um, Not everyone finds they have to eat organs on a carnivore or ketogenic diet, but many have found benefits, including myself. And Optimal Carnivore is a great uh, supplement if you are not willing or able to cook organs, you can't stomach them, or if you're traveling, um, and it's just something that you can easily take, and it's very high quality. Uh, Their organ complex is from grass-fed animals in New Zealand. It includes nine different organs. They also have a beef liver product, a brain-nourished product, all of which I've tried and used regularly. Um, Taking six capsules is the same as eating an ounce of raw organ meat from the butcher. So super easy. And you can get 10% off your order and other special deals by going to optimalcarnivore.com slash Scott. That's optimalcarnivore.com slash Scott. And go there to help support the show and get your organ supplements. Dr. Chris Kenobi is a physician and ophthalmologist turned nutrition researcher. And his focus has been on processed foods and particularly seed oils and high omega-6 diets as the primary drivers of overweight and chronic disease. He's been investigating this for nearly 10 years and presenting and published on this since 2016. Dr. Kenobi's book is titled The Ancestral Diet Revolution, how vegetable oils and processed foods destroy our health and how to recover. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for having me on, Scott. It's a pleasure. I appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Um, and, uh, you know, I've heard great things about you and your research and I'm just excited to learn more. How did you first become interested in this area and um, branch out from, from being a physician and ophthalmologist to venture into nutrition research? Yeah, Scott. So I I came into this um, out of my own suffering. And uh, really, that for me was, um, it's actually probably several things that were all uh, mostly nutrition related. And uh, but it was, um, it it was ultimately the, the primary problem for me was arthritis. And, um, and it, it began when I was about 33 years old. And um, I just, you know, had a uh, progressive case of worsening arthritis that involved uh, eventually most all the joints in my body. And by 2011, I was in absolute misery. And um, a change in my diet towards paleo had a huge impact on that. And, um, and I read Lauren Cordain's book, The Paleo Answer. And I, for the first time, which was 21 years after I'd graduated from medical school, I understood that processed foods, um, you know, mostly refined flours, sugars, and vegetable oils, trans fats are driving all of this chronic disease. And I absolutely had never 
uh, understood any of that before whatsoever. And so this literally just between the improvement in my arthritis and reading his book, it changed my life and set me on a, a, a whole new path to try to understand nutrition. And eventually, Scott, I, um, I hypothesized that the same foods might be driving uh, the same processed foods, that is, might be driving age-related macular degeneration, which is the leading cause of irreversible vision loss and blindness in people over the age of six, over the age of fifty now worldwide. Um, and that currently, that condition is the lead, uh, it, it has caused severe vision loss and blindness for more, in more than fourteen million people bilaterally blind worldwide. Um, the condition, though, affects around 200 million people today and is expected to be 288 million by 2040. And, um, and so I, I actually left practice in 2015 to pursue this full time um, based on that hypothesis that, that processed foods might be driving age-related macular degeneration because, you know, orthodox allopathic medicine um, pegged genetics uh, and aging as the primary causes of this disease, like they do a lot of things. And um, anyway, so, you know, we looked at data in 25 nations um, and all of that data supported the hypothesis that processed foods, particularly the highly polyunsaturated vegetable oils are driving macular degeneration. And uh, so I went public with that in 2016 and by 20, by 2018, 19, I just, as I continued to research, Scott, I was continuing to, to link the, the highly polyunsaturated vegetable oils, which we might just call seed oils, as the primary drivers of overweight, obesity, and all of the chronic disease, essentially. Coronary heart disease, strokes, cancers, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, Alzheimer's, dementia, macular degeneration, as I mentioned, all the autoimmune diseases and the list goes on. And so I just felt like this was not being, you know, properly represented uh, uh, anywhere in the science, particularly outside of a couple of colleague uh, researchers that were, that were going down this path. Um, but anyway, so I just felt like there was a big need for, for me to, uh, to, to, to go, you know, to investigate and go public with that as well. And that's what I started doing in 2019. That's what I've been doing, you know. So a lot of my research over the past seven or eight years really has been linked to uh, uh, seed oils and chronic disease. Yeah, it's fascinating. Both my parents suffer from very intense rheumatoid arthritis, and it's been a huge pain point for them. They've had multiple knee surgeries, hip surgeries, constant wrist pain, foot pain. It's it's very tough to live with. Yeah, another one of those. Uh, I mean, it's when when you get into the autoimmune disorders, they're they're exceedingly complex. But 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 you know, the reality is is that even those disorders, the evidence is a little less clear with those. But even those disorders, the autoimmune disorders, were definitely. Uh, bordering on very unusual to rare in the 19th century when we didn't have all of these foods. And, uh, you know, the, the evidence is definitely not as strong as it is for, um, 
for coronary heart disease, for diabetes, for macular degeneration, Alzheimer's, dementia, um, those conditions we know were exceedingly rare in the 19th century and have all increased by thousands of fold since that time. So they're just exponential increases in those disorders. And it's fairly similar for cancer. So we could talk about that too, if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to love to learn more about that. Um, and how did you go about, like, what were some of the sources you were using and how did you narrow in on seed oils as being uh, one of the main culprits? Yeah, well, I I found that, uh, quite frankly, if I went to the just an, the open internet um, for the most part, or even looked at books, um, this is back before about 2013 or 2015, I just felt like, like you know, I was pulled in so many different directions. Um, and so most all of my investigation to this day has been based on the published scientific literature. Um, and, you know, I mean, coupled with uh, some foundational basis from researchers like primarily Weston A. Price and Lauren Cordain and, um, you know, other so-called paleo kinds of researchers. Um, so, so all that evidence is what was my guiding light, if you will. And, uh, but I primarily stick to the, to the published science to, to, uh, to, you know, to try to prove to myself or prove a point about any condition. And um, do you, do you feel like this was completely absent from your education as a physician? Like, (laughs) why do you think that is? (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question, Scott. And this was absolutely 100% absent from my all of my education. Um, I didn't learn any of this in college. Um, I, I uh, didn't learn. We, I don't think we literally even had five minutes worth of nutrition edu- education in medical school. I went to the University of Colorado School of Medicine, 1986 to 1990. Um, here in Denver, and um, yeah, I don't, I don't believe there was any education whatsoever on nutrition. And if there was any, Scott, I'm pretty certain it would have been wrong. Um, you know, I, th- there might have been a smidgen of uh, teaching about saturated fat, yeah, but I honestly don't recall that. So it, it, again, like it, you know, I mean, my my belief system was the same as everybody else's. I mean, everybody that followed, you know, the traditional, typical dogma that, you know, fat, back in those days, I thought fat was bad, saturated fat is bad, Um, saturated fat drives cholesterol and cholesterol drives heart disease. And that's all I really, you know, that's all I believed at that point. And so, yeah, I, I didn't have any of this education whatsoever. So, so my, my medical background certainly does give me a leg up in terms of understanding the deeper science, of course. It's, you know, it's probably easier for me than somebody who's not a physician to understand metabolic pathways, you know, to some degree. But I, I really think that all of this really can be learned by anyone. And I don't think that 
Yeah, that we have to get into the weeds so much to understand the the big picture. And I, I'm really a big picture guy, Scott. I don't I I, I don't really uh, dive deeply into biochemistry and pathophysiology at the molecular level unless I have to. Um, I try you know I try to keep it at a higher level um, because most of us that's what, what that's what we need. And I think even including physicians. And even PhD researchers, I think that's what we need is we need big picture evidence. We need to connect what's happening at the, you know, at the population level, um, you know, to, to get to to get at what's driving a lot of this, you know, a lot of this chronic obesity and chronic disease. And uh, because you cannot do it by by beginning at the micro level, you know, you can't begin by looking at metabolic pathways and cellular metabolism you're just lo- you're completely lost you're in the forest so so i so I, I i believe in sticking to the big picture and when i've presented to smaller uh audiences that have no you know bent if you will they're not low carb they're not you know low fat they're not carnivore they're not vegan they're just your typical uh average american uh or canadian omnivores for example um, you know, this kind of evidence is that they find extremely powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'd love to to hear, you know, your high level take. How do vegetables and processed foods destroy our health? Yeah, so um, so there's so if we just look at the the really you know fifty thousand foot uh, view of um, processed foods and chronic disease. Um, processed foods really, um, I define as containing four things. It's refined flours, refined sugars, vegetable oils, and trans fats. And then you all have all these mystery ingredients that, that, that really don't probably have all that big of an impact. It's really the others, the, the primary components that are the big problem. Because they are, they have. T- there's two problems with these: they're nutrient deficient, and they're toxic. And the toxicity, I believe, is primarily driven by the vegetable oils. And so, um, well, how do they do that? Well, um, so the vegetable oils are high in omega six fatty acids. Um, primarily, that's linoleic acid is the primary omega six fat. Um, that accounts for about eighty, approximately more like ninety percent of the omega-6 that we would consume. And that omega-6 accumulates in our bodies um, based on whatever the relative proportion of that fat is in your dietary fat. And as it accumulates, it sets up a biological milieu that leads to an environment that's pro-oxidative, pro-inflammatory, toxic, and nutrient deficient. And I always say is you put you put those four pillars of hazard together and you have the recipe for metabolic disaster. And so so vegetable oils, which did not exist in most any population worldwide um, uh, up through the, the American Civil War ending in 1865, um, they were they were unknown and they were introduced in the United States with cottonseed oil just after the American Civil War ended in about 1866. And, um, and so, and then we, and then 
you know, manufacturers added soybean oil in 1909. And then there was just a, a, a landslide after that. And we got all the others. So, so now today we have, you know, we have soybean, corn, canola, cottonseed, rapeseed, grapeseed, sunflower, safflower, rice bran, sesame, and peanut oils. Those are the primary, what we, what most people would call seed oils. And they are all, they come from seeds except for soybeans, which is of course a bean. Um, and uh, um, so these are very, very high in omega-6 fat. They, they contain more than 20% omega-6 fat uh, by mass. And if you contrast that to natural animal fats um, from animals that are raised on their natural ancestral diets, those animals like, you know, beef, uh, chicken and pork, for example, would have two to two and a half percent omega-6 linoleic acid in comparison to the 20% plus that's in the vegetable oil. So the vegetable oils range from about the, a low of around, and I'm talking seed oils here, a low of around 20% in canola oil up to a high of about 78% in safflower oil. Um, soybean oil is around 54 to 56%. Um, you can contrast that with olive oil that averages about 10%. Um, so you want to have in your diet, you, you know, my the, all the evidence that I've looked at, Scott, shows me that in ancestral diets that don't have seed oils, of course, none of them possibly could because no ancestrally living population ever had seed oils in their, in their diet, um, their omega-6 consumption is under 2% of their total calories. And it's generally under 1.7%. And whereas westernized populations with seed oils are now consuming generally anywhere between six and 12% of their diet as omega-6 fat, um, omega-6, just omega-6 linoleic acid alone. And so again, that so that accumulates in your in the body fat and sets up this disastrous environment for all of this chronic disease and obesity, overweight and obesity. Did I answer your question there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Did I? Okay. I'm not it, sure if I got off. I got off track there. No, no, that's perfect. And um, yeah, like, why do you think? Um, seed oils like talk i think it's really interesting that um things that can attack parts of for a lack of a better word attack or impair parts of our biology and cause many different diseases i think it's really interesting how that works how it's not like seed oils just cause this one thing um why why is that why is it so um, ubiquitous or so damaging in, in multiple ways and lead, leading to multiple disease states. Right. That's a perfect question too, Scott. Um, and uh, the answer to that really is because uh, seed oils and high omega-6 diets um, are chronic metabolic poisons. So these are chronic metabolic biological poisons at that level. And you have to understand that any given nutrient is, um, you know, has a sweet spot of consumption um, where it's, you know, every, all of these things are required. It doesn't matter what you're looking at, whether it's, you know, it's oxygen, water, or magnesium, or zinc, or iron, or, um, or any fatty acid. They're, we, they're all, they all have 
a range which the consumption is appropriate and good. And if you're below that, there's problems. And if you're above that, there's problems. And at, cer at a certain point, everything becomes toxic. You know, I mean, oxygen at extreme high levels, you know, for a, for a day is severely toxic. It creates extreme oxidation. And um, so, so vegetable oils, when we consume these and they accumulate in our, in our body fat, I think if we all have the same diet, um, then we're, we're still all going to get all these different diseases. And the reason for that is genetic susceptibility primarily, I believe. Uh, I mean, there's obviously there's just thousands and thousands of other factors when you, when you start looking at all of the complexities. But the bottom line is that we do have genetic susceptibility. So that if, if you and I consume the same diet for four years, you might have a heart attack I'll, I might end up with cancer and the next person who, you know, consume the same diet might end up with macular degeneration and the next one would end up with Alzheimer's disease, right? And that's because, again, goes back to, to genetic susceptibility. So, so I like the old adage that genetics loads the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. And that environment to me is well over 99% diet. Um, you know, we could, you could talk about uh, stress and you know lack of sleep and grounding and and you know so many factors, um, but I think the primary factors really that hold the the great amount of weight is 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 the diet because if you look at I mean hunter gatherers you know can live a very stressful life. Um, 19th century Americans didn't have any of these diseases, but it's not as though they didn't have stress. We know they did. And, um, you know, all populations have had stress, but they didn't end up with all of these diseases. They didn't have Alzheimer's disease or dementia, and they weren't having heart attacks, and they didn't have macular degeneration. And why were their cancer levels so extraordinarily low? Well, the same that you see in all populations that don't consume these processed foods and the, and they all share the same things in common you know they don't have re, for one major thing they don't have refined vegetable oils uh seed oils in their diet and they have a low omega-6 consumption so so you know so again we could go back 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 out to the big picture for just a moment when you put together the high omega-6 along with processed foods that are nutrient deficient. Now you have um, you have two uh, primary problems all coming you know coming together at the same time. You've got nutrient deficiency and toxicity, and then and so that's that is um, driving uh, all of this. You know, it's driving obesity. It's driving chronic disease, essentially, and that's the worst case scenario. Nutrient you know poor lack of nutrients. In other words, lack of vitamins and micronutrients. I'm talking about lack of vitamins and minerals, and then the toxicity of a high omega-6 diet. And that's exactly what westernized diets do. And in contrast, how, how does our physiology respond to um, other sources of fat, saturated? And you also talk about monounsaturated fats. Yeah, sure. So, um, so the... Uh, um, so the, the, the fats that we normally would get um, in, uh, in 
any natural diet are going to be composed uh, primarily of uh, saturated and monounsaturated fats, right? So if you look at um, a steak or, you know, just hamburger meat, you know, the, the, the bulk of that is going to be monounsaturated fat, just slightly outnumbering saturated fat, right? Typically, it's going to be something like that. They're almost equivalent. And then you're going to have a very small proportion that's the polyunsaturated fat. And that would be the omega-6 and omega-3s. And those are going to be about 2 or 3% of, of the total in, that, in, any, uh, in any animal. And so, um, so this, is, this is what is in a natural diet. And this is what works perfectly right, as is the, that you have a very low consumption of the polyunsaturated fatty acids, the omega-6 and omega-3s, in my view. And you can get a lot more omega-3 when you're consuming seafood, and that works great, right? That, that's, that's not a problem. And, um, but, um, but anyway, before I get off track here, so um, in, your, in your physiology, um, if you think about well, what happens if you don't, if you have almost no fat, for example, like if you have a diet like uh, the Papua New Guineans of Tukacinta who consumes 3% fat, which is an extraordinarily small amount. Their diet was 94.6% carbohydrate. It was almost all sweet potatoes. They would occasionally feast on pork and chicken. You think, well, then what happens there? Well, when you have, when, when you don't have, uh, when you can't burn the carbohydrates for, you know, for fuel or store them as glycogen, they are preferentially converted, number one, to saturated fat, and number two, to monounsaturated fat. So that tells you something. I think for the most part, um, you know, is, if you're feeding your body naturally, your body doesn't convert anything to a substance that's, that's inappropriate for us, as, as a general rule of thumb. So it tells me a lot that our bodies would preferentially produce saturated fat as opposed to anything else, <laughs> you know, out of excess carbohydrate. So if you consume too much sugar, too many, you know, you have, you know, your diet is all sweet potatoes or all bread, um, for example, and it, uh, it's exceedingly low in, in, in any saturated or monounsaturated fats, for example, you're going to make those. And so that, that, but we don't make omega-6 and we don't make omega-3. We, we cannot make uh, well, let me rephrase that. We cannot make omega-6 LA, linoleic acid, the primary omega-6, and we can't make omega-3 ALA, alpha-linolenic acid, the primary omega-3, right? So we can make the longer chain versions of those if we're given LA and ALA. But anyway, I hope that, did that also answer yeah, that question, absolutely. Scott? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. And um, what happens when we consume, like, should should we be, I, I guess natural question is like, what should we be consuming um, based on your research? Should we be balancing saturated and monounsaturated? Should we be primarily consuming saturated fat? Because you said that's the first thing that we convert carbohydrates to. And, and what's your justification? Yeah, I think that um, you can, um, in terms of your, well, first of all, if we look at the really big picture, if we look at macronutrient ratios, based on everything that I see, Scott, I, and I, I make a strong case for this in my presentations, 
I don't think macronutrient ratios really matter all that much. Um, and this goes clear back to Weston A. Price's research in the 1930s. If, if you look at all these populations, and I, and I go to great lengths in this new book uh, that's called The Ancestral Diet Revolution, that I go to great lengths to show that you, know, you have populations like the Maasai of Kenya and Tanzania, who their diet is almost exclusively milk, meat, and blood from the cattle they herd, so they're pastoralists. And their diet is 66% animal fat. That's almost all coming from a very high fat milk. Um, their, their cattle produce very high fat milk. So 66% animal fat, that diet is about 40 to 46% saturated fat. Um, and yet they have no heart disease. They have no diabetes. They have no obesity, right? They're extremely healthy people. Um, but they're and so, and again, their carbohydrate was about 14%. So that, that leaves about 20% of their diet as protein, right? And then if you look at, and I've you know, talked about like the toke allowance, for example, their diet is a little lower in fat. I think it was about 53 or 56% fat, but that's a right 50% saturated fat coming from coconut oil, which is almost, you know, again, coconut oil is about 91 to 95% saturated. That's why their diet is extremely high saturated fat. Um, so they would have more carbohydrate in their diet. Um, I can't remember exactly what that number is. But again, that diet also worked perfectly. They had no obesity, no diabetes, no heart disease. Um, you look at the Papua New Guineans of Tukacenta. Um, they're, again, their diet being um, almost uh, more than 90% sweet potatoes. Their diet is 94.6% you know, carbohydrate, a 3% fat. 2.4% protein, yet they're very healthy by our standards. They did have dental decay and they had arthritis that was very significant. Again, I think because their, their, their animal fat consumption was far too low, they're almost vegans. And so I think they're missing fat soluble vitamins there for one thing. Um, you know, the Okinawans are used as an example. They're very, they're very similar in this regard. Their, their traditional diet was, um, uh, in 1950, 1950s to 60 was, um, six, uh, sorry, 84% carbohydrate, which was almost all sweet potatoes, very much like the Papua New Guineans of Tukacinta. Um, their diet was 5% fat. And um, so the rest would be protein, which would leave them about 11% protein, which was coming mostly from pork. So the Okinawans traditional diet for hundreds of years, this is well documented, was sweet potatoes um, and pork and vegetables. That was basically it. That's what they lived off of. And the Japan, the mainland Japanese, their diet is really similar. It's almost identical traditionally up through 1960, 84% um, carbohydrate. Um, the, the macronutrients I, virtually identical, five percent fat, and they uh, their diet was eighty percent white rice um, with vegetables and fish primarily. That's what their traditional diet was. But yet we know all these populations are fantastically healthy. So, so I you know you don't have to have you know, a whole bunch of saturated fat. As I said, if you don't get hardly any, your body will just make it out of the carbohydrates. Um, you know, as long as there's enough there to store some fuel, 
and it's going to make fat for you and it'll 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 preferentially store saturated fat with monounsaturated fat being second so even if your diet is three percent fat which is i just think you know it's way 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 too low but even in the most extreme circumstance the 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 population the papua new guineans were healthy and obviously the Okinawans have, you know, the a history of being, you know, the longest surviving people on the planet. They were exceedingly healthy in the 1950s and 1960, you know, before their, before, you know, what happened to them, their, their, they westernized their diet, um, you know, began with the, you know, with American occupation after World War II, we began, you know, we, we began to westernize their diet. They had hamburgers and French fries for the first time. You know, shortly after the uh, the after World War II, um, so so anyway, um, yeah, I don't think it matters. You know, uh, I don't think you have to get a lot of uh, of saturated fat or monounsaturated, or even really worry about the ratios as long as your foods are natural and vegetable oils, at, at least the industrial seed oils, they are not natural. They're they're not a natural part of any diet. Period. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what should we do? Your your book is titled um, "How Vegetable Oils and Processed Foods Destroy Our Health and How to yeah. Recover." Um, can you expand more on the recovery part? Uh, yes, kind of talked about it a bit throughout the interview, but I'd love to hear uh, more. Yes. So, um, so the first thing that people have to know is is that this is not a quick fix. There, I think if you been, have been consuming um, what I would call a westernized diet or a processed food laden diet for years, you will have high omega-6 in your body fat. And we, we can come back to that, Scott, and talk about those numbers. But the half-life of, omega, of, the, of any fatty acid in your body fat um, is about 600 to 680 days. So the linoleic, so LA linoleic acid in your body fat. Again, think of this: it's that half life is about, um, it's about um, two years. And um, I, I used to maybe mistakenly state that you know in pharmacology we know that it takes five half lives to remove anything from your body. But the good news is that it's not five half lives when it comes to your fatty acid, uh, fatty acids. There's at least there's one paper that strongly suggests that you can turn over all of your fatty acids in three years. Um, so 100% of your body fat can be, it will be turned over in three years. So this means today, if you've been consuming a diet that's typical of Americans, you know, which was 11.8% omega-6 linoleic acid uh, in the diet as of 2008, um, and you'll have a very high body fat linoleic acid, um, that will start to come down as you as you drop your you know your consumption down to ancestral levels, which would be you know around one or two percent, and then um, and and you will become healthier that literally that day. And I can come back to reasons why, but you'll change your blood components of inflammatory mediators that day, and then gradually your body fat, which means it's the storage depot for these fatty acids, plus all of your cells and cellular membranes, they're all going to reflect those same fatty acid components. And those will gradually come down over time. And there's so much evidence that I see of people 
having tremendous benefits in, in their health just in a few weeks' time or a few months' time. Um, you know, tremendous weight loss, um, tr- you know, tremendous improvements in inflammatory factors and, and, and uh, 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 just people feeling better by dropping their, getting their omega-6 down to a, a natural level, which is under 2% consumption. And you talked earlier about, um, at the beginning, about cancer specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, how, can, how can vegetable oils and processed foods directly contribute to, to cancer? So I think that um, the short answer is that uh, seed oils and high omega-6 diets, um, they, they drive mitochondrial dysfunction, period. And the way that they do that is by disrupting a molecule called cardiolipin in the inner mitochondrial membrane where the electron transport chain exists. And this causes a, a, a breakdown uh, in the, um, uh, the ability of the inner mitochondrial membrane to hold a proton gradient because it, the, as, the, as you consume more and more, more omega-6, this causes um, what I call uh, a catastrophic lipid peroxidation cascade. And one of the, one of the uh, pieces of that cascade is the oxidation of um, the, the fatty acid molecules in cardiolipin. And what happens there is that this cardiolipin then cannot, can no longer hold a proton gradient, um, uh, which is where you gain power from in the mitochondria. So the, the, the basic answer is you get broken mitochondria and you can't properly produce energy. And when you can't produce energy, you're, you fall apart at the cellular level. Yeah, and I tell people, it's the same as when you get, you know, when you're so sick that you can't get out of bed, you know, you can't take care of your house. All of the housekeeping functions, your, you know, your ability to cook and clean and fix your house and replace windows or whatever, whatever it is that you need to do, all that falls apart, right? You can't accomplish anything if you're so sick, you can't get out of bed. And this is really what we're doing to ourselves is we're making them sick with this high omega-6. Well, so when, this, when, when you have mitochondrial dysfunction as a result of this energy production failure caused by high omega-6 consumption, then you have the downstream effects are multifold. Just everything goes wrong then. So the first thing that happens is you get increased reactive oxygen species, which fuels more fire. This creates even more problems. The second thing that happens is, is that the cell becomes insulin resistant at the cellular level. And so the insulin resistance leads to all of this, you know, increasing blood sugar and uh, you know, uh, you know, fatty liver disease, um, ultimately type two diabetes, all that. The the loss of energy ultimately leads to um, defects in uh, in our DNA and RNA. So, or, or or at least in our chromosomes. So, so now you have. So this is where you start getting um, mutations and so forth uh, in your somatic cells, in your in your body's cells. Um, so again, those are downstream effects, just as I'm sure you've heard, you know, that cancer is a metabolic disease. Well, this is why, because the, you know, this is one of the major mechanisms is this high omega-6, and this is proven. So let me, 
Let me tell you about that for just a moment, Scott, because you were asking about cancer. Well, back in 1989, um, Clement Ipp, I, I, is the spelling of his last name, or re, uh, uh, this uh, well-known researcher, published uh, um, studies on rats where he exposed them, or rats or mice, I can't remember, but exposed them to uh, a carcinogen, DMBA, and then but he put them then on different diets that were that that began at 0.5% omega-6 linoleic acid, which is ancestral, right? Anything below 2%. So that was you know 0.5%. And then he increased the omega-6 consumption in their diets at 0.5% increments, and I think went up to um, about 12%, which would be typical of Americans today. And what he showed was that again, after exposure to a carcinogen and these different diets that the cancer went up and up like this up until the diet reached 4.4% omega-6 linoleic acid and then it leveled off the cancer rates right and, and oh and the cancer was mammary tumors well mammary tumors in in rodents are the same thing as breast cancer in humans and so these so these animals had there's you know had uh, increasing cancer rates again until they reached 4.4 percent omega six linoleic acid. Then it kind of leveled off, and there wasn't that much of an increase. So this shows a threshold effect for for cancer. So this is with and with regard to uh, linoleic acid, and and so if you look at all these you know population studies, and they say well you know people who consume consume more seed oils are not getting more cancer than those who consume less. The reason for that is because everybody's consuming too much. We've been over 4.4% linoleic acid probably since 1960, right? And this is the problem. We've been, you know, we went over this a long time ago, and most almost all westernized countries are higher than 4.4% omega-6 linoleic acid. The average now is six to twelve percent. Um, so so let's look, go back just for a minute. So we modeled American diets in 1865 before there was any seed oils in the diet. And that, um, that uh, omega-6 consumption was about 1.1% of the diet. It was two, about 2.2 to 2.6 grams of linoleic acid. All right, so, so we, uh, that number increased to um, around 2.2%, if I recall, by 1909, the omega-6 LA in, in the American diet. Um, by 1999, um, we were at um, uh, 7 point something percent of the diet, I believe it was. And by 2008, we were at 11.8% of the diet as omega-6 LA, right? So our so we went from about 1.1% up to 11.8% over a period of about 140 years. Um, so this is a 12-fold increase in omega-6 LA, whether you look at it by mass or by uh, percentage. And this is, the, again, this is the recipe for disaster. And everywhere we've looked, we see the same exact scenario. It's just a matter of degree. More omega-6 more disaster, more cancer, more heart disease, more obesity, more Alzheimer's, more macular degeneration, you name it, you, you get it. You know, that's, that's what happens.
Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I had no idea that the increase was that drastic. And that study with the, the gradient increases is really, really cool. Um, yeah. Well, Chris, I could talk to you all day about this, um, but this has been an awesome introduction and overview on Omega-6. Um, where can people find you, find out more about you, and, and follow along with, with some of your work? Yeah, so, well, we have two nonprofit foundations, um, Cure AMD Foundation, that's for age-related macro degeneration, Cure AMD Foundation, and then we um, we started um, Ancestral Health Foundation. It does not have a website, but will very, very soon. Um, so that'll be at ancestralhealthfoundation.org, and Cure AMD Foundation is at cureamd.org. Um, you can find me on, on YouTube. Um, and, um, our, this book, and I have a copy of it here, uh, Scott, I can show, I guess, oh, no, no, cause I'm using that funny background. I guess it doesn't really show up very well. <laughs> it's too bad. Well, I'll anyway, have a link it's, to it. it's, yeah, they, it's called the ancestral diet revolution should be available right about May 15th or so, um, and be in, uh, at almost all online book retailers, um, like Amazon, Barnes and Noble and so forth. Excellent. Well, I'll have links to all of that in the show notes as well. And thank you so much for your time today, Chris. It's been awesome. I've learned a ton and I'm sure the audience has as well. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. It's been an honor. Thank you for listening to the show. You can find The Scott My Show on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Please leave a comment, like, review, or share the podcast with your friends or followers. It helps more people find the show.